Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 43, A League of Their Own. I hope you're all staying safe and well at home if you're there or safe and well at work if you're there and thank you for being there. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Um, Firstly, I didn't plan for this episode to be out so close to the 75th anniversary uh, of VE Day. I scheduled it in and I didn't even think um, that last week was uh, VE Day. Um, And this movie is obviously set during the Second World War. Um, And whilst it's more lighthearted than most movies set during wartime, um, it goes without saying that we all owe a massive debt of gratitude to the men who fought during the war, um, but also the women who kept up morale, who worked in the factories and on the land and gave their support to the war effort. Um, And it's through their hard work and sacrifice that we live the free lives that we lead today. Um, So I just kind of wanted to firstly kind of give a little bit of a shout out to them and say thank you. um, And just thank you to all military service men and women, um, past and present. Um, Without you, our lives would be very different. So um, this is kind of, uh, like I say, it's a bit fortuitous uh, of my scheduling that I didn't even plan um very well um that it's come out at this time but um if you're new to verbal diorama welcome uh thank you to everyone for being here for listening um and thank you for the wonderful feedback on the last episode as well um it was a little bit different because it was pre-recorded and obviously I had guests on. I don't have guests on very often. Um, It's quite a rarity, but I like to have the best possible guests that I can. Um, And obviously the John Wick trilogy is loved by so many. Um, And most importantly, loved by me and loved by Laurel and Derek from The Midnight Myth. And having them on to talk about it was, quite frankly, a dream. Um, you know, it's like the Midnight Myth and Keanu Reeves in one episode. It was just a genuine delight. Um, I can't thank Derek and Laurel enough for agreeing to come on and agreeing to talk to me about um, John Wick. <laughs> I would happily have talked about John Wick for many, many hours. Um, sadly, uh, and, and quite thankfully, I managed to get it down to two. But um, like I say, I don't have guests very often, but I always want them to be worthwhile and I want them to be interesting. And obviously Derek and Laurel are all of that in spades. 
Okay, so I've got quite a stacked episode today, actually. So I'm going to move on from John Wick and I'm going to move on to the greatest sports movie of all time. Um, Now, obviously, you've seen the title of this episode uh, and I've even said what it's about. Um, But (laughs) so this is kind of a bit uh, defunct. But um, a lot of people will say the greatest sports movie of all time is Field of Dreams or Rocky or Raging Bull. Um, But for me, it's none of those. Um, The greatest sports movie ever made is A League of Their Own. And the reason is, well, you know, you're going to have 40 odd minutes of blurb explaining why (laughs) it is uh, coming right up. Um, But it's a really special movie. Um, It's so special um, that it was indicted into the United States National Film Registry. Um, That represents important cultural, artistic and historical achievements in filmmaking. Um, So it's up there with the likes of Field of Dreams, Rocky and Raging Bull. Um, So it's on a par, according to the National Film Registry, at least. Um, But this isn't just a movie about sport. It is about sport, but it's also not about sport. Um, It's also not a movie about achieving your dreams, even though it is about achieving your dreams. Um, It's about women. It's about women supporting other women. It's about women playing sport. It's about women supporting the nation to help win a war whilst also being about sport and helping others uh, achieve their dreams and achieving your own dreams. It's basically about everything. Um, And to be fair, I'm going to say how many other sports movies are A, based on historical fact? You know, yeah, quite a lot. Uh, B, set during a time of world war? Mm, Not very many. And C, starring a cast almost entirely of women and directed by a woman. And I think that this is the only one. Feel free to prove me wrong. Let me know if you think that there is another movie out there that fits that criteria. But as far as I'm aware, it's only this. You could very well say that this movie is in a league of its own. But here's the trailer for A League of Their Own. I'd like to lead you all in a little prayer. Dear Lord, may our feet be swift. May our bats be mighty. May our balls be plentiful. And Lord, I'd like to thank you for that waitress in South Bend. You know who she is. She kept calling your name. This summer, Tom Hanks is managing the impossible. The Rockford Peaches. missing the cutoff man. Now, that, that's something that I would like you to work on before next season. Columbia Pictures would like to take you out to the ball game for an all-star comedy. They'll pay you $75 a week. We only make 30 at the dairy. Well, then, this would be more, wouldn't it? The manager, Tom Hanks. Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. The catcher, Gina Davis. Well, you see, we slip in the back seat. You make a man out of me. Who said I smack you around for a while? Can't we do both? The pitcher, Lori Petty. I made it. I'm a peach. A Rockford peach. The scout... John Lovitz. Are you coming? See how it works is. The train moves, not the station. And batting cleanup, Madonna. What if my uniform bursts open and, oops, my bosoms come flying out? You think there were men in this country who ain't seen your bosoms? A league of their own. All right. God knows we have a game. It's not like any of this helps, believe me. Directed by Penny Marshall. 
During World War II, while all the men are fighting in Europe, most of the jobs that were left vacant because of their absence were filled in by women. The owners of the baseball teams, not wanting baseball to be dormant indefinitely, decide to form teams with women, and scouts are sent all over the country to find female players. Scout Ernie Cappadino spots Dottie Hinson at a local ball game and is immediately impressed by her skills and beauty. He approaches her and asks her to try out, but she's not interested. Her kid sister Kit offers to go in her place. He agrees that if Kit can persuade Dottie, they can both try out together. They both end up selected for the Rockford Peaches. Jimmy Dugan, a famous former baseball player who now prefers the booze to the ball game, is signed up as the poster boy manager but isn't interested in the game or the girls. Dottie steps up as unofficial assistant manager. After a few months when it appears the girls are not garnering any attention, the league is faced in closure until Dottie slides into a split to catch a ball in front of the press. It isn't long until Dottie is the star of the team and Kit feels like she's once again living in her older sister's shadow. The cast. This is such a great cast. It really is. Um, we have Tom Hanks as Jimmy Dugan, Gina Davis as Dottie Hinson, Laurie Petty as Kit Keller, Madonna as May Maud Vito, aka All the Way May, Rosie O'Donnell as Doris Murphy, Anne Ramsey as Helen Haley, Megan Kavanagh as Marla Hooch, Freddie Simpson as Ellen Sue Gotlander, Tracy Reiner as Betty Horn, a.k.a. Betty Spaghetti. And Tracy Reiner is actually the daughter of Penny Marshall, the director, and Rob Reiner. Bitty Schramm as Evelyn Gardner, Bill Pullman as Bob Hinson, and John Lovitz as Ernie Cappadino. So the story was by Kelly Candiel and Kim Wilson. The screenplay was by Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel. And it was directed by Penny Marshall. This was the fourth out of only seven movies that she directed in her entire career. The most famous of which was probably 1988's Big, which obviously also starred Tom Hanks. Um, Penny Marshall passed away on the 17th of December 2018. Um, and this is her legacy. Um, and, and what a wonderful legacy this movie is for her. The production history of A League of Their Own um, is, is quite interesting. I mean, it's an interesting story generally um, because it is based on a true story. So let's just get that out of the way first. Um, but it actually started way back in 1987 um, when a Los Angeles TV station aired a documentary. Uh, the documentary was by Kelly Candiel. It was titled A League of Their Own. Um, and the reason why he made this documentary was growing up, he knew that his mother and aunt had played professional baseball. Um, but it wasn't until his college years and the understanding of American and world history that kind of came the realisation of the significance of what his mother and aunt and all of these other women had done. Um, and also the fact that not many people actually knew about their story. So the story was that chewing gum magnate Philip K. Wrigley uh, realised back in 1942 that World War II could seriously affect the professional baseball leagues um, and additionally the revenue that came from them. Um, and he had the idea to utilise the women left behind by the husbands who were fighting in the war, um, as well as obviously the inability for them to serve in the military, because back then, obviously, women could not serve. Um, and he had this idea to create a women's professional baseball league. Um, and it seemed a more viable solution than the alternative of using these massive major baseball stadiums for things like circuses and concerts. Um, the league was originally called the All-American Girls Softball League um, and it was headed by Wrigley, Paul Harper and Branch Rickey. It was soon after renamed the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League because the rules, strategy and play were more similar to baseball than softball. So the Rockford Peaches were the most successful team over the 11 years that the league was active and it was active between 1943 and 1954. And at its height it had 15 teams, um, including... The Racine Bells, the Kenosha Comets, the Fort Wayne Daisies, Grand Rapids Chicks and South Bend Blue Sox, along with obviously the Rockford Peaches. The song sung in the movie that you heard at the start of this episode was the actual genuine song sung by the ladies in the league. Um, it's also sung at their annual reunions. The documentary, which basically told the story of the formation of this league um, was 27 minutes long and it ended up being aired nationally in the US. Um, and when it was aired nationally, it was seen by Penny Marshall. Um, and Penny Marshall got in touch with her producer from Big, Robert Greenhut, and told him to watch it. Um, and 
Penny Marshall had this immediate idea to make it into a movie. Um, and she was on contract with Fox at the time. But soon after that, she actually ended up signing with Sony. And Sony were so keen to have her that they agreed that they would let her do, in inverted commas, that girl's movie. Penny Marshall contacted Kelly Candiel and invited him to her birthday party. And this was a birthday party filled with celebrities and he was like mingling with like the likes of Demi Moore and Bruce Willis uh, at this birthday party. But essentially to meet with Penny Marshall, as well as screenwriters Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel, they were the writers of City Slickers and Parenthood. And together they all kind of started spitballing ideas for this proposed movie about women's baseball that was based on this true story. Kelly Candale's mother and aunt were the basis for Dottie and Kit specifically, and also the basis for their rivalry. Um, his mother was an outfielder and his aunt was second baseman. Although they weren't really in any particular rivalry themselves, it was kind of the idea of having that rivalry and that conflict made sense. Um, and instead of making them an outfielder and second baseman, the idea was to make them a pitcher and a catcher to kind of ramp up the tension between the two characters. Kelly Candiel's mother was actually sick with breast cancer at the time of the movie's release, but she did manage to see it before her death. She liked it and she actually really appreciated the sentiment behind its release. So that's kind of a bit of a brief history of how the movie got made. Um, and I would like to talk a little bit more about how the movie got made, but I've got so much to talk about and my notes are very long, actually. Um, so long that I'm quite concerned that this might be quite a long episode, but we'll see how we go. I want to talk about women in sports movies specifically because they're a bit of a rarity. Um, I mean, there are loads and loads of movies about men playing sport. You could just name 10 off the top of your head right now. I'm not going to, <laughs> but you can if you want to name 10 off the top of your head. Um, but there's loads because men playing sport is seen as quite a lucrative genre of film. So really, the only other alternatives that kind of stand up um, with a league of their own uh, is probably Goldie Hawn did a movie in 1986 called Wildcats. And there was also a movie in 1944. It starred Elizabeth Taylor as a young wannabe jockey. It was called National Velvet. Um, but otherwise, having women as main characters rather than supporting characters in sports movies is not really very well known they're just three examples kind of off the top of my head that I just kind of quickly found um that's three out of what thousands of movies about men playing sport um I'm sure there are more. I'm sure there are more about women. Um, they were just three that I could come up with. That's before 1992 as well. There are loads more that I'll talk about because this movie has, uh, it's left a legacy for female sports movies. So I want to talk about those a bit later. Casting wise, so obviously, as I said, this movie has just a, a, a great cast, a really accomplished cast. Um, and obviously Tom Hanks is without a doubt the biggest name in the cast he'd had a couple of flops in his career up to this point um and as they'd worked together before in big he actually asked penny marshall for the role of jimmy dugan he'd heard about it he was interested in it um it was unlike anything he played up to that point um because tom hanks is the kind of guy he's got a very boyish charm about him even now even now that he's in his 60s he's still you know, everyone's favourite uncle, you know. Um, everyone just sees him as this kind, you know, everyone respects him, everyone admires him. Tom Hanks really is the best of the best. Um, but Jimmy Dugan is probably one of the favourite parts that I can think of for me that he's ever played because it's so unlike Tom Hanks. Um, Jimmy, with, you know, this alcoholic swagger, um, you know, he's no decency it's complete lack of decency um and he hasn't any he doesn't have any semblance of want to actually manage this team um but throughout the movie he actually learns to be a better coach and he starts to respect these women um he does have the most respect for dotty uh admittedly and he still struggles with his temper especially with poor evelyn um 
But in the end, he turns down managing a male team to stay with this team. This is his team. The Rockford Peaches are his team. Um, and most importantly, he now sees them as ball players because at the start he wouldn't recognize them as ball players. He just basically called them girls. Um, and now they, at the end, they are ball players. Even though they lose the league, they are his ball players. And that's really great. I, oh, I love Tom Hanks so much in this. Um, and Dottie Hinson, uh, she was probably the most important role to actually cast because Dottie had to be a great ball player, first and foremost. She had to be athletic. She also had to be beautiful because she was seen as being the more glamorous of the sisters. Um, but she also had to be likeable. And it's really difficult sometimes when you have a perfect character um, who has these very perfect traits all the time of being the best and the greatest at everything. Uh, it's, it's very hard to make them likeable. Um, originally, Demi Moore uh, was considered, uh, but she fell pregnant, so she couldn't take part. Brooke Shields was also offered the role, but backed out. Uh, Sean Young was mooted. Laura Dern was originally cast sort of back in the late 80s um, and that was during initial development and that obviously fell through. Uh, the part eventually went to Deborah Winger and she was cast in the role um, and then she bailed uh, reportedly because she found out she would be co-starring against Madonna. Um, whether that's true or not, I'm I'm not entirely sure. I mean, we'll talk about Madonna in a little bit. Deborah Winger was so involved that she backed out at quite a late stage. Um, and then she was replaced by Gina Davis. Uh, Gina Davis had worked with producer Robert Greenhut on the movie Quick Change. So they had a relationship. Uh, Gina Davis had just made Thelma and Louise. And she relished the opportunity to work on another movie with, you know, these strong and important female characters. Um, and she felt that going from Thelma and Louise to A League of Their Own was just a blessing, really, for her. Um, she read the script and she just immediately wanted to be part of telling the story of these women who changed the world. Because these women did change the world. Um, they're incredibly important in history. Um, and you need actors who can successfully portray them. Uh, and just in case if you're wondering how Gina Davis plays the accomplished Dottie so perfectly, uh, she was cast months after everyone else. Um, and I'll talk a little bit later about the training that they went through. But everyone else had more or less completed their baseball training. Um, but Davis actually came in late. She perfected baseball after a few weeks and she actually became genuinely better than everyone else. And that's why she is the perfect Dottie Hinson. She is Dottie Hinson personified. Uh, Gina Davis is quoted as saying in speeches, I would rather play the baseball player than the girlfriend of the baseball player. Uh, she's gone on to form the Gina Davis Institute on Gender in Media, uh, aiming to narrow the gap between real life and representation on screen. Uh, Gina Davis is basically one of the most wonderful people in the entire world. Um, I mean, if anyone saw the latest season of Glow, I mean, she was spectacular in Glow. Um, Gina Davis, what a woman, what a absolutely perfect human being she is. Um, but luckily, Gina, uh, nor anyone else in the cast, because the cast was pretty secure at that point, had an issue with Madonna. Um, and that's kind of good, actually, because this might be a controversial opinion, but Madonna is really great in A League of Their Own. Um, because let's not forget, this is, uh, well, the movie came out in 1992. So this was early 90s when they were filming this movie. And Madonna was probably the biggest recording artist in the world, if not one of the biggest recording artists in the world in 1990, 1991, 1992. Um, she auditioned for A League of Their Own while her documentary movie, Truth or Dare, which was known as In Bed With Madonna, over here in the UK, uh, was released at Cannes. Her last original album had been Like a Prayer in 1989, and she was still riding high off her release of her Greatest Hits collection, which is the Immaculate Collection. I have a copy of the Immaculate Collection still. Um, I still play it regularly. I, I genuinely love Madonna's earlier works. Um, I'm not too keen of her later stuff, um, but sort of anything up to um, 
Ray of Light, I just think is great. Uh, <laughs> I really like the album Ray of Light. Um, but obviously, she was just a massive, massive star. Um, but her actual appearance in A League of Their Own is is actually a supporting role um, in the team roster, so to speak. Um, she plays a part of a double act with Rosie O'Donnell. It's not a starring role, unlike some of the other roles that she was taking um, at the time, which were more starring roles or co-starring roles. This is very much a supporting role. Um, and this is despite her prominence on the poster. Um, she's also prominent on the Blu-ray copy that I've got. Um, on the cover is is Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, and then Madonna. Um, so obviously they were really trying to ride the Madonna train on this movie. It's essentially Madonna playing a version of Madonna because May Mordebito is essentially Madonna. But that's okay. That that's fine because she kind of plays to her strengths. Um, they even had to play to her strengths when she was actually playing ball because. Although Madonna worked just as hard as everyone else, she struggled a little bit with the baseball. Um, and so they ended up changing her role in the team to kind of play to her strengths with the baseball. Um, it has been said that she was a bit of a diva on set um, and that she had a bit of an ego. Um, and apparently Rosie O'Donnell was charged with knocking her down a peg or two at times. Um, she ended up recording This Used to Be My Playground um, they originally wanted a different song over the end credits, um, but because she recorded it, Penny Marshall felt like she had to use it. So, you know, because this is Madonna. Um, and, you know, it kind of doesn't matter that she was a bit of a diva um, because she's really great. Uh, All the Way May is such a memorable character. Um, her screen partnership with Rosie O'Donnell, everyone remembers it. Um and interestingly, she was a last minute replacement too, in a sense, for uh, an actress called Lindsay Frost. Lindsay Frost had contractual obligations elsewhere. So Madonna actually then came up to bat, so to speak. And Madonna is great in this movie. As I mentioned, all the actors involved had to take part in real baseball training. Uh, so that was eight hours a day, six days a week for seven and a half months. So they started using modern equipment at first and then eventually they transferred to authentic 1940s mitts and helmets, which are obviously very different. They feel very different. Uh, they're not as forgiving as the modern equipment is. Um, so there were a lot of injuries, a lot of injuries. The injuries that you see in the movie are authentic injuries. Um, these actors are going to get hurt because they're doing their own stunts, because a lot of them did, then they're going to incorporate that into the movie. So all of the bruises that you see are real, um, because these women were really playing baseball. Um, they were really sliding. Um, they refused stunt people uh, because they wanted the movie to be authentic. The only time that a stunt person was used was for when Gina Davis did the famous um, diving split because although she can perform the splits in real life, as you can see in the movie, she couldn't slide into a split. So they used a stuntman for that. Um, the massive thigh bruise that um, you'll see on the character of Alice was a real injury sustained by actor Renee Coleman on the set. That injury took a year to heal properly. Um, and if you remember, that bruise is massive. It takes up the whole of her thigh. It's absolutely massive. And Ramsey, who played Helen actually broke her nose during the practice runs for the movie um, and she was worried that she would end up getting replaced because she had a broken nose but luckily it healed up for filming. Uh, pretty much everything in this movie is as authentic as it can possibly be. There are some inaccuracies which I'll get to later but the outfits worn in the movie, the uh, short skirts and the burgundy undershorts uh, were from an original design by Philip K. Wrigley's wife and are accurate uh, to the uniforms worn in the leagues. The original uniforms were often made out of wool. These outfits were a little bit more forgiving, but the original leagues often wore wool um, and often played in over 40 degree heat, so 40 degrees Celsius. So that's over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. When they talk in the movie about what they want out of this league, they wanted 
a sport, but they also wanted these attractive, presentable young ladies uh, to entice people to watch the sport. So they they wanted the sport, but they didn't want the young ladies to play the sport in the same way that the men were playing the sport. But the women played the sport because that was what they were there to do. Um, they also insisted um, that the ladies went to charm school. So there's a scene in the movie where they have to do charm school. Um, all ladies had to be presentable. They had to have proper manners and etiquette. Uh, they had to have correct posture. They had to know how to correctly apply makeup because essentially they were competing in this league and then they were all supposed to go off and find husbands. So they had to know how to cook meals and be pretty and all of those things that wives are supposed to do. Uh, but the one thing they were not allowed to do um, was they were not allowed to socialise with men. Um, and that was true for a lot of young unmarried women at the time. Um, and a lot of them did go out to um, bars to jitterbug. Um, I remember my granddad telling me stories of the dances that he used to frequent in the 40s. Um, and that was how he ended up meeting my grandma. So along with several other eligible ladies that he used to talk about. But um, but anyway, that's kind of by the by. But young people did. They loved to go out to dances. They loved to meet people at dances. Um, and that was just a thing that everyone did. Um, but not with the knowledge of your parents or your chaperone. Uh, it was just not the done thing. Um, it was a completely different time back then. Not actually that long ago, but, you know, society has changed. And the main reason society has changed is because of the war um, and because of what we had to do. I want to talk a little bit about some of the characters specifically. Um, so Jimmy Dugan um, is very much the token male character. And that's not something that you often get in movies like this, because usually you get the token female character. Well, Jimmy Dugan is the token man, um, but he's also completely fully developed in his own right. Um, Jimmy Dugan was based on two real life players, Jimmy Fox and Hack Wilson. So they were both great players. They were both icons of the game and they both drank themselves out of their careers. Uh, Jimmy Fox ended up managing the Fort Wayne Daisies for a season in real life. In fact, except for Jimmy Dugan, every other male role is a bit part. So you've either got a scouts or hecklers or husbands or fathers. Women are really front and centre in this movie and the women do all the work in making this movie great. Um, it kind of goes without saying that Jimmy actually only steps up because Dottie takes over the team kind of in an unofficial managerial basis. Um, and he disagrees with a lot of the decisions that she's making. So he believes that he can do better. So that's the only reason he steps up. Dottie Hinson, she was actually, the character was based on the real life player, Dorothy Kami Kamenchek, who was a left-handed first baseman and outfielder, who was the most feared hitter in the league. Uh, so Dorothy Kamenchek played for the Rockford Peaches in 1943 for several seasons. Unlike Dottie, who leaves after the first season, Cammy played for 10 seasons. Uh, a lot of the women like Dottie did only play for one season or for a few seasons and then returned to their husbands uh, because their husbands returned from the war. Um, and a lot of them returned to their husbands to start families. Um, and to me, that doesn't make the movie any less feminist. It is a feminist movie, for sure. Um, but it was their choice to leave the league and to return to their husbands. Um, a lot of women did stay on for years and they carried their love for the sport with them throughout the rest of their lives. But truthfully, like Evelyn and sweet little Stillwell Angel, um, a lot of these women had children and they were married. Um, you'll notice a lot of the newsreels in the movie comment on whether each woman was single or married, just to kind of, you know, get the men interested in the single ladies to, to come down and watch the ball game. Importantly for the movie, though, no one no one's decisions are shamed by anyone else. Um, when Marla joins the team, she's initially turned away by Cappadino for being less attractive than Dottie or Kit. Um, Marla ends up meeting her future husband at the bar and she marries him before the season is out. Um, no one in the team resents her decision, just as they don't resent Dottie's decision to leave a bit later on. 
Jimmy realises that Dottie loves baseball and feels that she will regret her decision in the end. But ultimately, each woman has her own agency and it treats the characters like real people. Um, and you kind of feel like that's down to Penny Marshall. I genuinely feel that if this movie had a male director, I don't think that the characters of these women would be as so well thought out. One thing this movie does incredibly well is it highlights the sexism and the misogyny faced by not only these women, and I keep kind of going back to this was a different time. It, it was a different time, but it kind of wasn't a different time because kind of all women face these kind of sexist and misogynistic comments. And it's interesting because I told my dad that I was covering this movie and he stated that if it wasn't for women, we would never have won the war. Um, and some people might think that's quite a bold statement, uh, but I think it's genuinely true. Um, you've got to kind of look at it like, what's the point of fighting a war if you don't have a home to come back to? Um, back then, you know, women worked in the factories, they built, they fixed. Even Queen Elizabeth II was famously a mechanic during the war. Uh, they worked on the land as well as... So they did all these jobs at home, kind of at the home front, whilst also still raising the children, um, providing for their families um, and working together with this kind of community spirit to boost morale, um, whilst also being told at the same time that they should get back into the kitchen. Women are in this movie and, and in life simultaneously objectified and derided you know, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, because you're damned if you have a career, but you're also damned if you decide to stay at home and raise your children. Um, and in the movie, this um, something that always kind of stands out to me is that there's a snooty radio host um, and she basically denounces the masculization of women. Uh, she calls it sexual confusion um, and wonders what kind of wives the men abroad will come back to. Um, and... It's something that I think even today, um, people have issue with empowered women, independent women, capable women, um, women who have proven time after time that they have the skills that are equal to men. But it's bizarre. It beggars belief that there are still people out there who believe that women should be subservient to men and should be homemakers. And, and far be it from me to deny that a woman who wants those things, because some people do. And that's fine. Um, the empowerment of women does not mean the depowerment of men. Um, there are a lot of men that do believe that, thankfully, um, but more need to. Um, and that's why this movie is great, because it shows both. Uh, that there are women like Marla and Dottie who do want to be wives and mothers. But there are also women like May who want to be more than what they are. They want to, She wants to be more than just a dancer. And Doris wants to be more... She wants more out of life than her abusive relationship. Um, it shows all these different kind of multifaceted characters of these women. Um, and it delivers for all of them as well, because not everyone has the same story. Not everyone is going to end up in the same place. Um, and it's something that I feel very strongly about, very passionately about. And I think it's one of the reasons why I, I love this movie so much. Although it is a period movie, it's set in the 1940s, it still feels very relevant today. Um, it also highlights as wide a variety of women that a movie set in the 1940s can. Um, because yes, they are all white and they are all young and heterosexual and cisgender, but they're still diverse. Um, they're not all stick-thin supermodels. There are a range of body types, a range of personalities. They're from different walks of life and different situations. Um, they're allowed to get filthy. They're allowed to be sexual and passionate and talented and angry and sad and want something more from their lives. The movie even highlights the very real segregation that black people experienced. There's a scene where a group of black women, they are watching the game separately from everyone else. Um, but she is no less able to throw a ball. And that is a really important scene for the movie because although there were no black players on the team, it goes to prove that these black women are just as capable as the white women. Um, and again, that's something that 
you know, there was racial segregation back then. Um, in some situations, there is still issues with racism. Um, but at the end of the day, we all bleed the same blood. So, uh, you know, just because you're a woman, it doesn't mean you can't do things that a man can do. And just because you're black or Asian, it doesn't mean that you can't do something that a white person can do. Ultimately, this movie is a story about sisters, um, the love between sisters and the rivalry between sisters. And anyone with a sister can relate to feeling inadequate against your sister. Um, and I know from speaking to my own sister, on several occasions, she's said to me how jealous she is of me. And I will just reply to her that I am just as jealous of her um, and envious of her life. Um, and it, it's it's kind of always this kind of grass is greener, I think, uh, aspect to everyone. Um, because it doesn't matter how inadequate and how imperfect you think your life is. Someone out there will think your life is the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, um, but ultimately, this kind of rivalry is relatable. Um, and as I said, Gina Davis really is the perfect Dottie. You know, this sort of statuesque beauty, proficient in everything, burdened with glorious purpose, um, having this ability to catch a ball and literally not wanting it. Um, and what she has is everything that her sister Kit wants. So we've got Laurie Petty as this kind of scrappy, underachieving younger sister who's literally always in Dottie's shadow. And Laurie Petty, this was one of her first kind of major roles. And she really genuinely did feel like this insecure younger sister to Gina Davis. Because uh, obviously Gina Davis is Gina Davis. Um, so in many ways, the sibling rivalry does feel real. Um, because Laurie Petty really did feel overshadowed by Gina Davis. Because, I mean, you would. You just would. Gina Davis is, as I said, probably the most perfect specimen of a human being. Her and Sigourney Weaver, put them together. Have they been in a movie together? Because if not, that should have happened. The one question that people tend to ask about this movie is, did Dottie drop the ball? Uh... And most people are insistent that Dottie does purposely drop the ball to let the Racine Bells and therefore Kit win the league. Um, Kelly Candiel, who obviously based the character on his own mother, um, insists that no real ball player would betray their teammates and their own integrity to drop the ball on purpose in a World Series game. Um, so that's his point of view. And similarly, as perfect as Dottie appears to be, her dropping the ball accidentally is okay. Um, it's okay for her to make a mistake. Um, we look at Dottie as being this kind of all perfect ball player, but people do make mistakes. Sports people make mistakes. Um, so I think it would have been absolutely fine for it to be a mistake. Um, but for a movie and a movie specifically about sisters and quarreling sisters as well, because at that point they aren't on the same team and Kit feels very betrayed by Dottie. Um, it does actually completely make sense that Dottie would give something to her sister, especially as she knows that she's leaving the league, um, and finally allow her sister a win. Um, but I think the movie leaves it ambiguous enough to that whatever you think happened, happened. Um, and I think that's important. I think sometimes a movie doesn't need to dwell on the ending, uh, just leave it open to interpretation and I think this does so whatever you think if you think that she dropped the ball on purpose then she dropped the ball on purpose if you think that she didn't then she didn't um it's it's completely up to your own interpretation I personally would like to think that Dottie dropped it for her sister um but that's just that's just my personal opinion I've briefly kind of touched on the war I've not really mentioned it uh and obviously the the very real and serious backdrop to the situation um, and a real threat to not only these women, but women all over the world. Every single day, whilst their loved ones and husbands were at war, they could get a telegram to say that he had been killed in action. Um, and the scene with the telegram is played with so much heart and genuine tension um, because it's for one of them, but no one wants it to be them. And no one wants it to be their teammate either. Um, and the deliverer is just so inept that it kind of falls to Jimmy to deliver the news. 
to Betty um, about her husband. And God, it breaks my heart every single time. And I know what's going to happen. And I know it's going to be Betty. But every time it just destroys me. Um, And Tracy Reiner, um, she might be the director's daughter, but she just delivers so much in that scene. She's she's great. And Tom Hanks is great as well, because at this point, his character really has evolved enough to actually care that one of his ballplayers' husbands has died. I cry a lot in this movie. I know that I cry at everything. I cry a lot at A League of Their Own. Um, the real members of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League actually make cameos at the end of the movie. Uh, they are actually the ones playing ball at the end, uh, which makes me cry. Um, and along with some excellent uh, older actor castings for both Gina Davis and Laurie Petty, for a long time, I actually genuinely believed that they were Davis and Petty in old age makeup because they looked that good. Um, the, they're not. They are actresses uh, of their own accord. Um, but they have dubbed voices. So the voices were dubbed with Davis's and Petty's to make it seem more authentic. Obviously, Gina Davis has a very distinct voice. Um, And this is the part of the movie where I cry the most, which is seeing the sisters reunite after an indeterminate amount of time, because we don't know how long they've not seen each other for, but the movie tells us that it's probably a while, um, and it it just makes me blub, seriously. Um, So I'm just going to quickly run through a couple of differences between the movie and real events, because I'm quite mindful of the time the racing bells they did win the inaugural season of the all-american girls professional baseball league but it was not against the rockford peaches um they actually played and won against the kenosha comets the rockford peaches actually finished last in that first season um so unlike in the movie the league was an immediate success obviously in the movie they say it's not profitable and they might have to close it down um but in the real life um curious spectators came to see pretty girls in short skirts running around a field um and then they realized that these women were actually serious sports people um they then encouraged others to come and watch the games which filled the stadiums um and at no point was the league in any financial trouble obviously it goes without saying i think i mentioned earlier that all of the characters are not real um the they're all completely made up, everyone, from Walter Harvey, uh, who is obviously Philip K. Wrigley, uh, Walter Harvey and his Harvey bars, uh, they're all made up. Uh, all the scouts are made up, Jimmy Dugan, Dottie Hinson, Kit Keller, everyone is made up. But um, I'm going to go through some of the people who were real um, in a bit because I, I want to shout some people out. Um, over to my obligatory Keanu reference, which was super easy. I was so so surprised at how easy this was i thought it would be really hard but keanu reeves is no stranger to baseball movies he starred in hardball in 2001 uh which was him coaching a team of african-american kids so thanks to wikipedia for that lovely fact not as hard as i thought thank you keanu reeves for starring in a baseball movie obviously not as good as this one never even with keanu reeves in it's never going to be as good as this quickly going over the financials for this movie so this had a 40 million dollar budget and it ended up grossing 132 million dollars worldwide it made penny marshall the first woman in history to direct two movies that had grossed over 100 million dollars at the box office there was a spin-off tv show in 1993 which had the same characters and some returning actors so megan kavanagh replaced her role as marla hooch and Tracy Reiner replaced her role as Betty Spaghetti Horn. But otherwise, the characters of Dottie, Jimmy, Kit, Evelyn, May and Doris were recast. Uh, the character of May Mordebito was played by Wendy McKenna, who you may remember from Sister Act as Sister Mary Robert. Um, so she was in Sister Act the previous year. Um, I have had a quick look at an episode that's available on YouTube of this TV show. It's quite bad. Um, The introductory titles are kind of this dodgy 90s sitcom. Uh, You'll you'll know what I mean when you listen, but it it sounds awful. Um, It doesn't sound like it's set in the 40s. It sounds like it's set in the 90s. Um, And then they have this awful canned laughter 
Um, it's set up as a prop- proper sitcom. Um, it's really bad and really off-putting. Um, it's no wonder that it went completely nowhere. So I just want to quickly touch on the legacy because this movie does have a legacy. Um, not only does it have a legacy that we all know about the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, which is obviously historical. These women did so much for women in sport. Um, there's there's not enough recognition in the world, I think, for the women who were left behind during the war. Um, and this is some kind of small token to those women um, who kept up morale and worked at the home front. Um, but in movies, I mean, obviously... Women's sports movies now, um, they're still not that popular, but we've had a few really brilliant ones over the years. So I want to kind of quickly shout out the likes of Bring It On, Bend It Like Beckham, Whip It. Obviously, they're more kind of comedies sort of going to more serious sort of like Clint Eastwood's Oscar winning Million Dollar Baby, uh, which won uh, Best Actress Oscar for Hilary Swank and also Best Picture as well. And hopefully we'll get more uh, movies, true stories as well, I hope. True stories of women in sport, um, because I think it's really important for the future stars of sport to know their legacy and to know that women can achieve these wonderful things. In doing my research for this movie, um, it was quite sad, actually, that I found out that the last remaining living member of that 1943 roster of the Rockford Peaches uh, a lady called Mary Pratt. She was a pitcher. She passed away just recently on the 6th of May 2020. Uh, she was aged 101. Um, and as a, she was a member of that inaugural team that this movie is based on. Um, and so I want to dedicate this episode to her and to the rest of that inaugural Rockford Peaches team. So that's Eileen Burmeister, Muriel Coburn, Clara Cook, Gladys Davis... Betty Jane Fritz, Thelma Golden, Dorothy Green, Marjorie Hood, Lillian Jackson, Dorothy Kamenshek, Olive Little, Ethel McCreary, Berith Mellon, Betty Mazinski, Helen Nelson, Pauline Oravetz, Marjorie Peters, Irene Rook, Dorothy Sawyer, Josephine Skoken, Rella Swamp, Mildred Warwick and Lorraine Wuthrick. I wish I could mention all of the ladies that ever played in the... All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Sadly, um, I can't. But I wanted to call out those ladies specifically because they were the real Rockford Peaches from 1943. Right, over to social media. One thing that I like to do is I like to see what people think of the movies that I'm covering. So I got some really lovely comments, actually, um, which is always great. I always love getting the nice comments. Um, But especially for a movie like this that I, I so genuinely love... I'd have been really sad if someone had turned around and said they hated it. Um, but on Twitter, uh, we have Derek from The Midnight Myth. I mentioned him at the start. Hi, Derek. Uh, that's at Derek Jones 198 He said, Baseball is so important to me and no movie captures what baseball means to Americans in the same way as this film. In the shadow of World War II, these amazing women gave the country its pastime. What a joyful film. There's no crying in baseball. Regular contributor Andy from Geek Salad Radio said, Every time we go to the Baseball Hall of Fame, I have to recite the entire There's No Crying in Baseball speech in front of Roger Hornsby's plaque. Also, it's because of this movie that I have one degree of separation with Madonna. I did Fiddler on the Roof with Eddie Mecca, the guy she's dancing with in the bar and makes out with. Soph from Not For The Dinner Table, hi Soph, at SophieBooGC1 said, Another film I love. I am now going to watch it later. Thanks, Em. Um, Soph, did you watch it? If so, let me know. At Movie Drone said, Great film. Remember having the winning ticket number when our local cinema ran Saturday morning pictures for £1. Got a goodie bag and free sweets. Can't wait to hear this one. Thanks, Mark. Uh, At Number One Rerun said, I can't believe there's a whole debate on if the ball was dropped on purpose. Of course it was. That's the heart and message of it all. Amazing film. At Troitle Power said, We just watched this the other night. I think this movie gets the feel of a baseball game more right than just about any other, due in large part to a lot of incidental dialogue from the players and announcer while the game is going on. Words you hear but don't listen to. 
that's actually a really great point because I'll be the first to admit I know nothing about baseball. All I know about baseball comes from this movie. Um, so you don't actually get to really know the rules of baseball. You just kind of pick up little bits and pieces, uh, like you said, for, from the background or from the commentators and the, the hecklers and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the, the little that I know is based on this movie. And at E-Rock Reviews said, My all-time favourite and best baseball film ever made. Gally from at Rewind Movie Cast, he said, A League of Their Own is a great film, wonderfully balanced and truly heartwarming. Always get a tear when the little kid Stillwell has grown up and talks about the passing of his mother. Going over to Instagram, at Movies at the Mat, said, What a fantastic film. It's hard to believe Penny Marshall only directed seven movies in her life, but she knew how to make them count, and this one stands above the rest for me. With so many great lines, it's one of the most quotable movies of all time. Oh, and I firmly believe that Dottie dropped the ball on purpose. At JJB Born 90 said, Absolutely love this movie, and the casting definitely increases the awesome factor of this movie. No comments on Facebook. Um, so this episode is genuinely longer than I thought it was going to be. But so I'm going to finish and I'm going to finish just by saying that as a woman, seeing women succeed at a time when they usually couldn't, at a task that they usually couldn't, in an environment that was initially hostile towards their success is both empowering and humbling. It's a movie full to the brim of hope, inclusion acceptance and love and if that doesn't make it the greatest ever sports movie I don't know what will thank you for listening uh, as always I'd love to hear your thoughts on a league of their own next episode right so the next episode I recently moved house and so moving house meant packing up a load of dvds um, and it was then that I noticed I owned a dvd I completely forgot that I owned uh, which is terrible actually and probably says that I have far too many of them but um, I'm going to do an episode on it. Um, and it stars Heath Ledger. And Heath Ledger played some iconic roles in his incredibly short life. Um, he's still much missed. Um, he's been a joker. He's been a Casanova. But there's nothing as noble as a knight. Uh, the next episode is going to be on 2001's A Knight's Tale. It's one of my favourite Ledger roles. Uh, Patrick Verona is probably my absolute favourite, but I'm going to make you wait for that one. Um, A Knight's Tale will be in your podcast app next week, and I hope you will join me for that. If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on... <clears throat> Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Friend Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow... Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin, 1992-2019, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Charlie's Angels, 2000, The Mummy, 1999, The Matrix, John Carter, Willow, The Iron Giant, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Logan, Edge of Tomorrow, Legally Blonde, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 4, Episode 10, Hush, Mystery Men, Passengers, Stardust, Constantine, Arthur Christmas, Akira, Kubo and the Two Strings, The Incredibles, The Lego Movie, Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse, Howl's Moving Castle, My Neighbour Totoro, Spirited Away, Treasure Planet, Clueless, Hellboy 2004, Hellboy 2 The Golden Army, Bridesmaids, Tremors and the John Wick Trilogy. And they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. If you can support the show financially, that would be awesome. You can sign up at patreon.com slash Verbal Diorama from $2 a month. You get some fab perks. You can get access to the upcoming schedules. Um, I'm currently scheduling all the way up to November. Um, but I pop them out the month before so everyone knows. You also get a shout out on the next episode. Uh, you also get shout out on Twitter and you get episodes early as well. A massive thank you to patrons, Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason and Kristen for supporting Verbal Diorama. Um, you can email me if you want to get in touch. You can say hello, you can give me some feedback or you can suggest some stuff to me. Uh, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. Uh, my website is verbaldiorama.com. Um, if you want to support the show but you can't support it financially, I completely understand. Um, in that case, if you could pop over to iTunes or Podchaser and leave me a five-star rating and review, that would just be phenomenal. Thank you so much. Um, and finally, 
Um, I have a column at Film Stories Magazine. Uh, Film Stories Magazine has been on a bit of a hiatus. It is coming back. I know that they are working on a new issue right now. So please... If you can support it, you can go over to filmstories.co.uk slash magazine. You can purchase one-off copies of the back catalogue. You can subscribe for three months, six months, whatever you want. Um, and you will see me somewhere in those issues, hopefully. Um, I'm also doing bits for Film Stories Online. So I recommend fellow great British movie podcast. Actually, that's rubbish. That makes me sound like I think I'm great. Um, I recommend great movie podcasts that are not me no that sounds even worse anyway I, <laughs> I recommend other movie podcasts from great britain that sounds better um so i do that each week um and i i love doing that because it introduces me to loads of new shows um i am subscribed to so many shows right now i can't tell you um i also have um an iplayer list of movies so every week the bbc add movies to their iplayer and i update a little list for film stories that gets published every monday morning so every friday you'll get a new podcast recommendation and every monday you'll get a new iplayer list so and finally 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 i just want to leave you with this no matter what you do in life, always remember the immortal words of Jimmy Dugan. And no, not those immortal words about crying in baseball. These. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. Bye. Movie should know. Movie should know.